We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is episode 247 of the pod alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. And as always, plenty to get to as the final four comes to a head. NBA season pushes towards the playoffs. We got to give a off-season grade to this point for the Chicago Bears, our beloved Bears, who uh, a good contingent of the fan base seems to be up in arms about the uh, lack of activity. We'll get to that. I don't calling get it, for we'll the new general it. manager's job, and I think we're uh, I think we're just in a stage of Bears fandom where uh, people's brains are broken at this point, and, and can you really blame them? But we'll examine all of that. But first. As everyone here knows, or if you're a new listener here on the Moose and Rod, Moose and Ruins Moose podcast, and you will so- Moose and Rods podcast, you will soon learn that we are first and foremost a golf pod. And before, I, I, I even hesitate to say first and foremost, because foremost, we are a Tiger podcast. Before we are even a golf podcast, yep. and Tiger Watch Matt has reached a fever pitch over the last few days as he ramps up to see what he can do in terms of playing at Augusta for this year's Masters, which begin, uh, what is it, today's Thursday, a week from, week from the recording today? of this podcast. My God. Uh, a, couple, a, a couple things to really outline here. Um, first and foremost being Augusta National does not abide by the PGA Tour rule that commitment to the tournament must come a week before the Friday of the tournament, which would be this Friday, a day from the recording of this podcast. Those rules do not apply. Tiger can take this into the weekend and into next week if he still is unsure of yes, no, maybe. But timeline of events here, uh, we hear that Tiger is ramping up down at Medalist, playing every day, Joe LaCava on the bag, walking 18 plus every day. Uh, Then we get the flight tracker. Uh, The Tiger jet is en route to Augusta. It circles Augusta. It lands. Tiger reportedly reportedly plays all 18 holes on Wednesday, Tuesday. 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 Um, Yesterday he was practicing and stuff. I believe he was in the range. That was with uh, Justin Thomas and Charlie. Yeah, I don't have his whereabouts from there anymore. I Charlie's see a couple tweets. twelve years old. I, and he's already played Augusta. That's so now, annoying. Now here's the that that was going to be one of my one of my uh, ancillary points here is that like Charlie Woods is already learning the angles at Augusta. So let me get him for the twenty thirty Masters. Like let me get a future on him right now. Like, <laughs> I, I, the hype train. The hype train's out of control. The hype train. We got to just let it go. Um, but uh, Matt, I, I just want to kind of gauge your temperature here on Tiger. Where's your expectation level? Because I'll tell you this, coming into this week, I had zero expectation of Tiger playing the Masters, and now I'm in a place where I will be completely disappointed if he's not on the first tee on Thursday. Uh, it, you, if you were to ask me on Monday where I was, uh, I would probably say like 20% he's playing. I thought it was because he was walking at medalist. That might have even been before we found out he was walking at medalist. But what he was walking at medalist, and it was like, oh, okay, you know, he's he's trying, he's doing some walking. He hasn't backed out yet. Like he's just he's holding out hope to the last possible second. Now that he's gone to Augusta, played Augusta, still at Augusta, it's not like he went there and was like, yeah, I can't do this, I'm done. Like he's still at Augusta, he's on the range, you know, working. Like, I, I'm, I've, I've kind of flipped. I think I'm like 80-20 he's playing. I would be quite surprised. I, if you're him, and obviously he's the ultimate competitor and he wants to win and his, his goal every time out is going to win, he's going to expect that from himself. 
and I don't think he's necessarily thinking this way, but it might be in the back of his head. Like, what's the worst case scenario if he does go out and play Augusta? Is that he goes out, plays a really, off, you know, he's off on round one and he's not really feeling right. And the, there's no harm in withdrawing because your leg's bothering and you, you, had, you had a bad round one, whatever. And I think that's possibly, that again, not that I think that's really in his mind, but like, if that's the worst case scenario, nobody would blame him for, you know, it's like, hey, that's awesome. You tried. Your leg wasn't up for it. You were in a car crash where some people thought you might not walk yeah, in. Yeah, like I, I just don't think I just don't think that's in his head. That's because completely I, I, out of the character of Tiger Woods. I, well, I, I, know, I think, uh, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't really think that's what I, I think his goal is I'm going to go to Augusta to win because this is the Masters and I'm Tiger Woods and I play at the Masters. But in every situation in life, you have to weigh, you know, the positives, the negatives, and the, the positives so outweigh the negatives in this situation. That's all I'm kind of saying. Like, there's no real downside to him playing, and the fact that yeah, he's I mean, still out there, the fact that he's you know work, he's been working on it for a while. He played Augusta, brought Charlie. You know, is is out there still working on the range. It hasn't really showed signs of leaving yet. I, I would be quite surprised at this point if he's not teeing off on Thursday morning as you know one of the competitors a week from today as one of the competitors. So to just kind of unpacking what you said there, I fall somewhere between the two of like, oh, what's the worst that could happen? Well, the worst that could happen is injury and setback in that sense because you know he wants to play at St Andrews in a couple months. Like, mm-hmm. so injury and setback would be the worst case scenario for him. Um, Personal embarrassment would also be the worst-case scenario for him. I'm not going to go out there and suggest that Tiger Woods is going to step onto Augusta National and shoot 80. So I think those are the things that he was trying to flesh out over the last Mm -hmm. couple days. Can my body do this physically? Can I play 36, possibly 72 holes at this tournament? Yeah. Can I compete? Am I going to hurt myself? He's looking for all these answers to these questions. If he – as long as he – surpasses the threshold of am I going to hurt myself and he knows he could play four rounds of golf at Augusta, well, then you get to the goal-setting portion of things because, as you said, Tiger Woods' goal, and he said it time and again, every time he goes to a golf tournament is to win that golf tournament. But I think this is the moment and this is the opportunity for him to shift that thinking because him appearing at Augusta National and playing two rounds, not even making the cut – is another one of the greatest comeback stories of all time. And, mm-hmm. it, and it can only be that if we allow our expectations to be there and not be, Tiger's got to make the cut, Tiger's got to win the tournament. The man almost lost his leg 15 months ago, and he is about to go walk 36 holes on golf's most hallowed ground, a tournament that he's won five times before, a place he will be celebrated long beyond his years on this earth. So there are victories within this week if he just tees it up. Yeah. I I don't think that a WD is on his mind as an option at all. I think it's the second I put this peg on in the ground, hole number one, I'm trying to make the cut. I'm committed. Yeah, I'm committed. And, 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 that's, and that's the lone goal is trying to make the cut. Let's say he makes that cut. Well, then we have a 12-hour span before we tee it up on Saturday to – um, reestablish our goal here. If he's within 10 shots of the lead is a top 25, my goal. If he's in within five shots of the league is a top 10, my goal. If he's within three shots of the lead is a victory, my goal. I, I think that, you know, to, to examine the mind of Tiger Woods is a losing effort here because <laughs> Fair point. He, he's only gotten to where he is because 
of his capabilities, both physical and mental. Um, so to question him or to to say his goal has to be this seems futile. But from where I'm sitting, Tiger Woods is trying to figure out whether or not his body's ready. And once he passes that, um, once he clears that hurdle, then it becomes goal setting. And I don't think that that goal is immediately to win the tournament. No, I don't. I, I think what you said is is absolutely right. I think his his first goal is just even in to, to be realistic as a 47, 47 year old. Is he forty seven now? Forty six? Uh, forty six, I believe. Forty six year old who's coming off that traumatic of a leg injury. The realistic goal has to be make the cut, and then we'll kind of go from there. I don't know. I just want to see him tee off at Augusta. I, ideally, in a perfect world, I would love to see Tiger and Sunday red at Augusta in contention or not. Like that would be a dream scenario. But I, I at this point, like I, I just. I'd be very surprised if Thursday he's not in a tee time playing on the court. I, I just, it, I don't think he'd still mm-hmm. be around and be putting in this much effort if he wasn't going to give it a go. Yeah, like, I don't, and there wouldn't be any point to it. He's simulating the workload right now. Yes. I think is what he's trying to get his body to feel what it's going to feel like next week. And can I wake up and feel okay after that? I think is a lot of um, what he's trying to do. But like. We sort of have – he's left these breadcrumbs for us because we haven't seen him at Augusta. You know, we saw the we saw a picture of the plane, mm-hmm. and this is the perfect tournament and crucible for him to be able to do this, not having to speak to any media. It's Augusta National Golf Club, and media is not allowed there until next week. So, like, he's – he is a – he is a member right now. He is not someone preparing for the Masters. He has that sort of insulation and protection. God, when I talk nice. about the bread, I know, right? When I talk about the breadcrumbs, like we saw what his body was capable of in a cart, mind you, but at the PNC, we saw what what that swing could be in the father son. So I mm-hmm. think that that was one thing that gave us hope. Uh, we then saw him without the leg sleeve on walking into the uh, Hall of Fame induction. We then saw him at the Hall of Fame induction looking clear-minded and clear-eyed and and you know, you know, Tiger's not just battling physical here but um, some of the things that he's been through in mental as well, easily. Mental and his his addiction and the way he's had to cope with some of these other injuries in the past. Um, I, I think that we just need to make sure that when he is there on Thursday, because this could all change during the recording of this podcast or 10 minutes after how things usually do. But assuming that he's going to be there on Thursday, I think as Tiger fans and as golf fans, we need to give him the space to enjoy. We need to give him the space to really live in this moment because it is a win the simple fact that he's teeing it up at Augusta National and that he's not, one, an amputee, or two, not with us anymore because we've seen that with athletes in the recent past and the heartache that comes with that. Um, So I think this needs to be a celebration regardless of his output on the golf course. Yeah, after that car accident, just about any time we see him out on the course now, especially in these major situations at Augusta, I mean, the major situations and especially at Augusta, which are probably going to be the only few times we see him with addition to, you know, Jack's tournament or maybe Arnie's tournament here and there in the future. Every one of them is kind of has to be a cherished moment kind of thing was with Tiger. You kind of, you don't know what he's thinking, how long he's going to be that competitive. And just, especially after that accident too, just take the, take all of these appearances and times we get to see him on the course as a win, because we're not sure how much more we're going to get him. 
Um, I, I think that it's also notable here a couple things. You know, we touched upon Charlie getting his getting his early looks at Augusta National, so he's going to be a problem. I did but not I know also, I could be that jealous of a thirteen year old or whatever right? age he is. Um, I so jealous. I, I also think, and now this was regardless of this fact coming out. I'm always going to have a close eye on Justin Thomas, and, mm-hmm. and, and especially in these moments because he is someone that is driven by Tiger. And I'm not saying that to say win 15 majors, do all the things that Tiger did, carry the world number one ranking for seven straight years, not miss a cut for eight straight years. Like, I'm not saying any of that. But Tiger Woods is Justin Thomas's muse. And for him to be in that aura right now, for him to be in that, um, that solar system, just to be one of the planets circling the sun right now, I think is very beneficial for Justin Thomas in this coming week. I think it's very motivational. I think it, it um, it's a it's a representation of him locking in a hundred percent for four rounds because we know that Justin Thomas's game right now is amongst the best in the world. It's just there's a nine hole stretch here or there where it goes mm-hmm. left, and then he finds himself two strokes off the lead on Sunday all day. Um, Justin Thomas is a ticket I'm going to be holding this week, partially because he is in the aura of Tiger Woods and everything that's happening right now. Uh, I actually already own a t- uh, Justin Thomas ticket. I bought it on uh, uh, PropSwap.com. They do like they, people will sell futures, and a while mm-hmm. ago I bought a Justin Thomas to win the Masters and Kansas to win the NCAA tournament future. So I'm sitting on that right now. But I'm with you. Is I, that a, a little two legger there? Yeah, or is a, a, parlay, separate, a parlay. A separate. Yeah, uh-huh. I don't, it's a very okay. random two leg parlay, but it was like start of the NCAA tournament. I was like. Sure, that looks about right. And I believe I believe JT right now is twelve to one to win the Masters without looking at the odds, and I believe Kansas is plus four seventy five or something like that. So you that, got a nice little payout. Yeah, I'm I'm, back looking, on that. I, I'm I'm hoping that cash is well, actually, I'm hoping it doesn't because I'd like to see North Carolina win. And I'll just take a separate <laughs> Justin Thomas ticket, but that's right here and right there. Uh, I, I'm with you, JT. I think is I'm going to buy. JT to win. I'm going to look at some JT top 10, top 20s. I, I, I want to bet him just about every which way in the Masters because I do think he's this Tiger week for him, if, if we're going to call it that, is absolutely helping him in terms of a motivational standpoint. I think whenever he plays with Tiger, he competes not only physically but mentally uh, against Tiger Woods, which is an incredibly mm-hmm. difficult battle on the golf course. You know, those two guys, even if it's a friendly round, are most certainly competing against each other. And he's been right there all year. Like you said, he's knocking on the door, it seems, just about every weekend. And he has, you know, one or two holes, a stretch where he kind of falls off and just misses pulling out a win or you know, has a bad nine holes in the third round. And that, that kind of takes him too far off the lead. But he's right there and he's going to get one soon. And it feels like once he does, once he finally gets over that hump, obviously he's been up over that hump in his career, but this year the, the wins are going to start coming. I feel like of all the... Not Scotty Scheffler is obviously playing the best golf of anybody mm-hmm. in the world right now, but after that, I know Justin Thomas doesn't really have the wins to show for it. But in terms of finishes, in terms of how he's played, I think he's right up there after Scotty Scheffler is playing also, the best golf. And in also, the world right now. in terms of expectation, because I don't know that you know Scotty Scheffler, and we'll talk about it here in a moment. But Scotty Scheffler is in this whirlwind right now of being celebrated as world number one. He's won three of his last five starts. But is Scotty Scheffler the type of guy that you think goes to Augusta with the intention of, I'm going to win this turn? Not the intention. That's obviously everybody's mm-hmm. intention. But the but the internal belief of, I'm going to win this tournament and nobody's going to stop me. Because I think Justin Thomas, regardless of the fact that he hasn't won in a while, 
Uh-huh. Um, regardless of the fact that he hasn't won at Augusta, I think he goes to Augusta with that feeling. And he says, Dustin Johnson's done this. Tiger Woods has done this time and again. Uh, Patrick Reed, Sergio Garcia, Jordan Spieth, Bubba, Adam Scott. He looks at all those guys in this club with green jackets and says, what do they have that uh-huh. I don't have? I think there's a lot of that in Justin Thomas where he's almost at a point where he's pissed off that he's not a part of that club yet. Yeah. because. I don't think Justin Thomas's career ends without a green jacket in a locker. And I've I've said it before. I'll say it again with each passing year, a little bit more pressure comes on to that statement. But I just think that he's so driven and he's such a sharp individual that possesses some of that Tiger-like self-belief that he almost goes into the tournament pissed off. Now, can he get him – can he – get to a point where that serves him and doesn't hinder him mm-hmm. is the next sort of uh, uh, the next sort of line for him to cross here. But Justin Thomas is a ticket that I'm going to be holding. Uh, I know Cam, Cam Smith's probably Cam Smith's a, a another guy that I was going to talk to talk about. My, my long stuff. shot. And we'll get to some official picks next week. Yeah. I think we're going to do the pot on Wednesday before the masters. Yeah, we got to uh, get it. In we'll do it. Masters. Maybe, maybe, maybe in the midst of the par three, we'll do it just to get the birds chirping in the background. But, that. um, Cam Smith, Justin Thomas, and my long shot, sixty-five to one. I like Abraham Answer. He sort of uh, he sort of danced around the lead on Saturday and Sunday the last mm-hmm. couple of years, and um, he's playing really good golf. We saw at the match play uh, flashes of it. Um, we'll see if he can be there too. But you know, I like to have something longer than sixty to one, and he's one of the names that popped for me. You you talked about Justin and like kind of his mentality of the kind of playing a little bit angry and playing motivated. He reminds me of this next like new wave of great golfers. Like the way he plays, the way he goes about it, his mentality reminds me the most of the past generation. You know, the Tiger generation, the Phil mm-hmm. generation. Whereas Sergio Seve, yes. like, well, like well, guys just, who go out there with. With well, not just the intention of winning, but the expectation of yes. winning. Yes, like and while well, like a lot of these guys, well, JT is buddies with a lot of these guys. This generation has been more buddy buddy, whereas the other, the past generation was more built on rivalries. It does feel to me like Justin Thomas, while he's friends with those guys, has the has the while he's on the course more of the mentality of the like it, there there are no. There's no buddy buddy really moments with him, and mm-hmm. it feels like he has more of that old school. And I hate to say old school because it's not even that old. It's Tiger and Phil and Sergio, but the mentality of like I, they, I, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm the best player out here. Not all. Oh, we're all really good. You can just tell he is dying to have one of those jackets in his locker. He, yeah. he is. He's going he to get one the, at some point. He fits the bill of a Masters champion, and I, I, I'd be really really thrilled if we got to see that this week um because i'm always pulling pulling for jt let's talk about scotty scheffler here because three wins in the last five tournaments um match play is a whole different beast and he's been next to flawless in his match play career Mm -hmm. not just that that's a ton of golf in a four-day stretch it really is Um, to be able to maintain that level of play uh, how impressed were you by Scotty Scheffler over over the last week or so? I mean, over the last was, month and a half here. I was gonna say last week impressed me, but more so like this whole year has impressed me. Like he's just mm-hmm. been he's just been absolute nails. It seems like in all situations, and like the tournaments he's winning are the like not that every tournament's big, but like the ones he's showing up to. These he's winning uh, the waste management. He's coming out and winning Bay Hill. Like he's winning the WG. Like he's winning the 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 match play. Like he's showing up in the biggest moments and. This for me, uh, probably for not, in my opinion, 
this all started with his Ryder Cup. He was absolutely like he was the guy. Yeah. He was a, one of the last guys to make the team. That's nothing against, but he was one of you know what number eleven or 10, 11, 12 on the on the roster. Like mm-hmm. he was the captain's pick. He was one of the last guys to make the team. And a, a lot of time, like people didn't know as much about him in the Ryder Cup. And he went out and had a stellar performance. He was amazing all weekend. He absolutely kicked the hell out of John Rahm in match play. And I feel like not that. Pat Patrick Cantlay is still a very good player, but I feel like we left that weekend thinking Patrick Cantlay is the next guy who's going to take, he's the next guy to take this big jump and he's going to be the next, you know, in the wave of Morikawa and DJ and JT. And like, he's going to be mm-hmm. the next guy to join that elite. And I think Scotty Scheffler's kind of taken that. He's number five player in the world. But like Scheffler has been, has, Scheffler's doing this year what I feel like everybody thought Cantley would be doing after their Ryder Cup performances. And again, this yeah. is nothing against Cantley. He's had a very good year. He's been around top fives, top tens all years. But Scotty's still in that spotlight, though. Yes, Sheff, he, he has absolutely made that leap. And it seems like, I don't know if it was the whole Ryder Cup. I don't know if it was just kicking the hell out of Rom in that match play. But like that seems to have taken his comp. Like, he was a good player last year. He was. You know, we saw him around leaderboards in the top tens. But... I don't know if that confidence boost is something that has taken his game to the next level, but like, he's just been different since that match. Like this year has been a completely different player. It's It's been so much fun to watch. And I mean, you, you hit the rewind button even a little bit further. And this is a guy who was the corn fairy tour player of the year three years ago. So um, <laughs> to say world number one, Scotty Scheffler, Wild. is something that I'm sure is still sinking in, uh, in his brain, but Seems like a sweet guy. Seems like he comes from a great family when you saw the scene there at Austin Country yeah, Club that was after cool. he won it. That was very cool. The moment with his dad, like, I'm more proud of you as a man. I'm more proud of the man you are than the golfer you are. Like, get you choked up talking about it right now. But, like, looking at the results and not just what he's done but where he's done it, wins the Waste Management, which is a rock concert with mm-hmm. a, 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 a golf tournament going on. He had to come from behind to do it, too. Uh, came from behind came from behind to do it on sunday uh does it in a playoff i believe Mm -hmm. if i'm not mistaken um wins it in a playoff target golf in the desert and beats head-to-head cantley like you said then goes to the genesis another top 10 at riv uh, an amazing golf course then arnold palmer invitational which the moment there is always massive to throw on Arnie's sweater is something special. It does it at Bay Hill, which is much more your, you know, classic Florida golf. So he goes mm-hmm. from the desert to, to California and gets a top 10, goes from California to Florida, gets a win, and then goes from Florida to Austin in his own backyard and gets another win on like a 6,600-yard track where it's really anybody's game. Just the variety of golf that he's won over the last month and a half, year two, has really struck me as Wow, this guy's game travels anywhere. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not got just all a bomber. Game. Exactly. He's not just a bomber because he's not the longest guy on tour. He's not just he's not a, a ball striker like Morikawa where that's really um it's visibly what he does best. He's great around the greens, but he's not that uh, short game aficionado. He just does everything really well and and it makes for a complete game that travels anywhere. And sort of going off that point, Matt. It was awesome to see, and I'm not sure that a stroke play event works at a place like Austin Country Club, but it was so great to see someone like Kevin Kisner able to compete because the distance requirement wasn't reductive to the field. Like, you could go out there and be a guy who hits it 285, 290, and be Mm -hmm. in the final match because 
match play allows for that. Of course, that sets up like uh, Austin Country Club where there's some risk-reward, short par four type situations. Like, I just want to see more of that on tour because not to say we don't have enough parity because parity is the name of the game right now on the PGA Tour, but like a guy like Kevin Kisner, a guy like Luke Donald, um, a guy like, I mean, Abe Answer's small, but he hits it far. But like these guys who hit it sub 300 yards, being able to compete at places like Austin Country Club, I think there is a place for that on the schedule. Yeah, and I, I fully agree with that. And I'm thinking way in advance here to next year's Ryder Cup. But you brought up Kevin Kisner. He's a guy who flirted with being a captain's pick <laughs> last year and ended up obviously not being that. But with how he plays in match play and how they set up the courses in Europe, I, he seems like a guy that would be a very good fit to now, obviously, either have to qualify or you got to be playing better than people, you know, right around your your area for mm-hmm. a captain's pick. But he seems like a guy, depending on how things go, that could really fit that mold of that's the kind of guy we want to bring on a road game to a you know a course that's going to be set up to not hit the ball three hundred fifty yards every time to kind of place your way around the golf course, make putts, because that's, win that's matches. Also what the Euros, that's yeah. also what the Euros do well is that that type of game that I agree with you leans right into what Kisner does well. But that's the hesitation for um, Zach Johnson, right, is the captain? Yeah. In Rome? Mm-hmm. Um, that That's going to be the hesitation in picking Kisner if it is a captain's pick is – what if they do stretch it out to 7,300 one day? What if they do stretch it out to 7,400 one day? I don't even know if the, this course in Rome has that capability, but that's a decision that he has to make because in his own admission, mm-hmm. Kisner said, if it's at Bethpage, leave me at home. Like I, yeah. I, can't, I can't do what I do at Bethpage. So this is his opportunity in Rome because if he doesn't get it here and then he doesn't get it in Not gonna, Yeah, Bethpage, he won't be coming well, back. Who is Kevin Kisner in six years? Um, Probably not a Ryder Cup golfer. Uh, he could be. I mean, it's just you don't know who hangs around because mm-hmm. look at the names that were being considered for the Ryder Cup six years ago, and you know there's certain guys that aren't even on the PGA Tour anymore. I love that we're already talking about the Ryder Cup next year. <laughs> I love it. Um, do you have any final, uh, any parting thoughts here, PGA Tour, Masters, Tiger Watch before we roll it into Final Four? I don't. I don't want to get too much. <clears throat> too. I mean, we know we already got pretty deep into Masters talk, but I don't. I want to. I want to cut us off there because we got to what's essentially going to be a Masters preview show next week featuring yep. like maybe a minute of NFL and Final Four talk. Uh, let's let's get into the Final Four then because for all the parody that was this season, uh, Three and all, and the half blue dogs, all the Cinderella's, it's the Blue Blood Invitational uh, with Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, and Villanova. Kentucky's got to be kicking themselves here right. because that would have been the, the true blue, but um, Villanova is a – is a likely and rightful uh, filler of that. If they're not a blue blood, they're seat. the closest thing to it. Yeah, they're like uh, they're uh, what would it be like? It would be like a baby blue blood. There you like go. A, there you go. Wouldn't that be um, Carolina? Yeah, but that would be <laughs> joke. That would be a little joke. on the nose. No, no, no. I got because uh, yeah, they wear baby blue. Carolina blue is like baby um, I, I you know you. I know you'll struggle to be uh, impartial here, but no, I won't I, be. I really, honestly, I really have no rooting interest in this final four, other than. Um, you know, storylines, and we're about to get the greatest storyline perhaps in the history of college basketball. This is a game that, in its buildup, is the biggest game of all time, and I don't think that that's, a, that that's an overstatement whatsoever. Maybe college basketball historians will point to other things, but just in the, strict, in the straight lead-up to a college basketball game, Coach K against a bitter rival mm-hmm. with his career hanging in the balance – 
a team that embarrassed him on his home court no more than three and a half weeks ago. It just it is the ultimate build up to a college basketball game, and I I can't wait for Duke North Carolina. Uh, it's it's I think you hit it. It's the biggest college basketball game <clears throat> I can ever remember in my lifetime. Um, no, it could I, be it could be a thirty point blowout win by one team or another, and we don't remember it as that. That's why I say but the, the yeah, build up but the build up to it. Fair fair enough. I mean, I will not struggle to be unbiased here. I've been very realistic about North Carolina and like my expectations for them this year that I I had zero expectations of them being here I think I had them going in the elite to the elite eight in my bracket because I'm a homer but then had them losing uh, that said going into this matchup like they, they've played lights out basketball Brady Manick has he's been the difference maker for them and he's that stretch four that is shooting I think he's shooting like 50 percent from three so far in the tournament when you're getting that from your stretch four, who has been a nice player all year, and he turns into that, that's that runs like this are going to happen. That said, I've talked about it before with them. Like their depth is just not there, and with how refs have been calling these games and how let's realistically how Coach K games are going to be called a little bit, they're going to be called a little bit tighter. I just don't see nor I'm going to bet North Carolina's money line because that's what I do, but I just <laughs> I. I I, I don't see North Carolina having the depth to over. Credit to Duke. Duke's playing. They were a fine yeah, like, basketball team all year. They're playing amazing basketball. Everything needs to go right on Saturday night for North Carolina to win that game. They need to stay out of foul trouble. They need to hit their free throws. We need to see the Caleb Love of the second half against UCLA, not the first half for the majority of the game. Like we 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 need to see everything go right, and it can. But I'm just I'm very worried about the foul trouble with especially with not just the Coach K factor, but just how games have been being called this tournament my, my biggest wish and i was talking to uh, a friend of the pod or my cousin brian yesterday about the game like i, I either way i just hope this does, this final four in that game especially doesn't turn into a ref show where we see yeah. one team you know in the bonus with nine minutes left no one wants to watch that no I, let I, the I boys play i completely agree with you um from the simple fact of like remove the names remove the coaches remove the teams yeah. team a is shooting at 48% from the field over the last two games, Team B has no chance in college basketball. Yeah. Because it, it, Team B just can't match that sort of efficiency from the floor. Duke has been so efficient and led by Paulo Boncaro. Like, they've been putting up NBA-type shooting numbers, and no one can really hang with that anywhere in the country at the collegiate level. Because mm-hmm. we've talked about it here on the podcast before – 38% usually wins games. So you're shooting at 48% from the field. Like You're, you're going to win, win most of your games. games. But everything, I'll, I'll talk out of the other side of my mouth here, everything about this matchup tells me it's going to be a one-possession game with single digits on the clock. Like mm-hmm. It's just what it's supposed to be. It's what Duke, North Carolina is more times than not. Um, the revenge factor of what North Carolina was able to do at Cameron Indoor a couple weeks ago, um, where Coach K is at in terms of his coaching of this team, because I think he was, it was after the Texas Tech win that he said something very illuminating. He said, after that loss to North Carolina at home, I had to look at myself and the way I was coaching this team. They were not responding to my coaching, because his coaching is usually your shit, you're yeah. a nobody, be better. Like it's, it's coaching from the negative. And I think we may have talked about the, this last week on the pod, but we're getting to that part. Of, we're getting that point in history where the coddled youth are now the stars of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. These are guys who have always been told how great they are, who are never yelled at, who never had to do up downs or got screamed at nose to nose by a coach. Like it's just not 
It's just not allowed anymore at the youth level. So now these are guys that don't really respond to that at the next level. So Coach K is realizing in the 23rd hour that he needs to communicate with these guys differently. And I think we've seen the fruits of that shift over the last couple weeks, and it's really brought the best out of this Duke team. I think they're the best team remaining. I think they have the highest ceiling of any team remaining. Their best is better than anybody else's best. I think that Kansas is the most consistent team, and I do think that that's the matchup we get in the so playoffs. It's Kansas versus Duke, and I think it's the the you remember Disney back like when we were kids, the storybook ending, like it always ended happy. And then it got to the point where like, we got a, a little bit older and they're like, we can't keep giving people these storybook endings. We got to like get you there and then show you what heartache is as well. I think we're going to get showed heartache. And I think Kansas beats Duke in the final. And it's sort of that like uh, coach K like crestfallen moment rather than the storybook ending. Yeah. I, I have no idea who's go- who would win that hypothetical matchup because it, I, I don't know what Duke team we're going to get. But I mean, if you had if to put you know allegiances biases aside, I would say Kansas Duke seems like the the matchup, especially with uh, what's it, Justin Moore being out for Villanova. Huge. That's like that's, minutes, points, everything that's so that he dividing. provides. Like, uh, like, it's especially if, like, if that happened in the Sweet Sixteen, and then they go on to win an Elite Eight matchup. Maybe you're like, ah, oh, you know what? They they've done it without him, and they they played real like, real young, game. Whatever. Young Archidiacono is going to have to step step hey, up. You know what? He's an Archidiacono has done it before, and wouldn't it be something if like little Archidiacono brother hit like a big three <laughs> against Duke in a final? That would be uh, very fitting. But no, I, I, I'm with you. I but none of the like none of these scenarios like any team beating any other team in a final like Villanova over Duke Duke over Kansas Carolina over Can- like none of these scenarios would surprise me because of how well like all of these teams are playing mm-hmm. uh, and I think in terms of the Duke Carolina rivalry obviously it's going to miss you're going to miss not having coach K you already miss not having Roy Williams a little bit a little bit but like the next wave or next wave the next two coaches carrying on these legacies i think hubert davis is already going to a final four in his first year is kind of already establishing himself as a bit of a personality john shire has three top uh three five-star recruits already for for next year's class Mm -hmm. because he kind of took over the recruiting we're gonna miss the big personalities as the head coach but it's nice to see that both teams seem like they have their guys ready to be the head coaches going against each other for the next 20 years as well. Matt, do you think that this is, um, do you think that any of these other coaches are looking at this opportunity as like, all right, Krzyzewski's gone next year. This is my show now. And I show them that here at the final four in New Orleans, like because Bill self are already well established, but I believe he's only got the one final four win. Um, Hubert Davis starting his tenure, but starting it on the most positive note possible. Jay Wright, he's got his championships. He's he's that younger era of the all time great coach. Like, can he could? I, I don't think Villanova's going to do it, but he could take that step towards being. Hey, I'm at the mountaintop. You got to come to me. Like, do you think any mm-hmm. of these coaches are looking at it as the opportunity to? Not just knock off Coach K and get him out of the tournament, but knock him off and say, this is my show now. Yeah, Bill Self going and getting – if either one of the guys on that side of the bracket, Bill Self or Jay Wright, go mm-hmm. and win this tournament, I think they, they establish themselves as that. Because Jay Wright has two, right? And if, if he gets a third and this 16 is – 16 and 18, I believe. What is his – yeah, like what? how many Final Fours now has he been to? I feel like they're there every other year. Like yeah. that for like Bill Self – 
has, for whatever reason, seems like he has the reputation of being the better, like bigger time coach than Jay Wright. But Jay Wright's been more successful, he, and that's not at least in tournament. Like if Villanova wins it, he's got one less than Coach K. Like he could tie Coach two, K right? next year. KS five, huh? KS five. KS four. KS five, I believe. I'm about ninety nine percent sure yourselves. Coach K. But still, either way, he's in. Like he's his coaching career is nowhere near over, and he's within absolute shouting distance of coach K if it's five and if it's four, he's right at the doorstep and he'll probably tie him. Like Jay Wright is You're right, five. You're right. Jay Wright and Bill Self seem like the next two guys that are yeah. kind of battling for that position right now. Uh Tom like Tom Izzo's great, but like Tom Izzo has one title and that was twenty two years ago. Like yeah. as he's an he's an awesome tournament coach. He's also weighed down the uh the all time wins list, like farther down than I thought. Uh, he's only around not I shouldn't say only, but he's like 670 something or, or something like that i thought he'd be more you know near the top but mm-hmm. he's he's going to be the next like feel like dean of the coaches but i don't know like as good as he's been in the tournament his teams never seem to actually pull through and, and go the whole way um so i think bill self and jay wright seem kind of like the the logical next two guys um i completely agree with you it's going to be fun to watch it all play out in new orleans uh, coverage on Saturday and then on Monday. Um, let's keep it on the hardwood here, Matt, but let's talk a little bit of NBA because we're coming down the stretch. Uh, we're inside two weeks to playoffs. The Eastern Conference still all jumbled up. Uh, to be honest with you, and I'll make the statement right here, if I'm one of the better teams, and if I'm one of the top two, three seats, if I am Philly, Brooklyn, uh Boston, Milwaukee. I want to see the Bulls. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think so too. I think that I think that they are. I think that they are the easiest out in the field of the Eastern Conference playoffs above the seven seed. Let's say, like, if I'm if I'm one of the top seeds, and you're saying you get Chicago, Toronto, Cleveland, Charlotte, or Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta's not making it. Atlanta, Charlotte, I don't think are making it out of the playing tournament. I think you're going to get. Um, Cleveland, uh, you're going to get Brooklyn out of the play-in tournament, but mm-hmm. like, let's let's just look at it for what it is. It's been a good Bulls season. It hasn't been a great Bulls season. They are still a step or two behind those teams that I just listed because in watching every second of the Philly Milwaukee game the other night, nobody's beaten one of those two teams. Um, I, I honestly, I don't. Know. I don't think Miami has what it takes to beat those two teams in a seven-game series. I don't think Boston. Boston, I think, matches up the best. I don't think Brooklyn has it. Boston matches up the best with those two teams, size, physicality, the way they play the game. But to me, it's Milwaukee, Philly for the East. Uh, I would. I'm. I will never count out Brooklyn, uh, just because it is. Well, they might not have totally the depth. I think they did. A, they've done a little bit better in building up some of that depth in the uh, in the uh, Harden trade, and they still have when they're playing at their best, the, the best one-two punch I think in the East and probably basketball with Durant and Kyrie. And I just I, I'm with you. If I had to put money down, I'd say probably Milwaukee, maybe Philly at this point. But I don't in a fully healthy seven-game series, I'm not betting against Brooklyn against in, in, against either of those teams. I just, I, I, I can't I just think count them out yet. We, we, we saw it the other night, Brooklyn against Detroit. They trailed the whole game. They were unengaged. Like, they play a lot of you-go-I-go offensive basketball. Like, they, they just don't strike me as a champion right now. I agree with what you're saying. 
Kyrie KD that gives you a chance. But you're also looking James Harden and Joel Embiid in the eyes. You're also looking the best big three in basketball in the eyes in Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Chris Middleton. The other night, Giannis went for 40 and 16 rebounds or 14 rebounds, mm-hmm. whatever it was, against Philly, and that took the headlines. Well, guess what? Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton combined for another 40. So it was 80 points between those three guys. They don't they, they, they don't have all the window dressing of all the other stars, but that is the best big three in basketball. Um, I don't know that anyone beats Phoenix this year because of how good they look, mm-hmm. but um, just strictly out east, Milwaukee has really told me a lot over the last couple weeks. I, it, I If I had to pick one team to represent the east right now, I would, and I had to put money down, I would put, I would take the future on Milwaukee. I'm not sure what their odds are, but they're probably just over even money. Um, but it's Brooklyn's just, still the favorite in the East, or at least two days really? ago, but they were I mean, plus two thirty as the favorite. And I think that's just that's probably I think that's Vegas. A lot Vegas of money taken on, on Vegas has already taken on so much Brooklyn exposure that they're like, all right, we're good here. We can't take any chances. I just I don't think they're going to make the run to. The, I don't think they're going to go to the NBA Finals this year. Like I, 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 but I just I'm not comfortable in saying that I would bet against the two like the best. And I know Holiday, Middleton, and, and uh, Giannis is probably the best. Uh, three-headed monster, whatever in, in in basketball right now, I just I have a tough time betting against KD and Kyrie because when the, when that duo is at their best and the Nets are playing their best, I think they're the best team in the East. Obviously, you need to do that multiple times over a seven-game series to win that series. But like, I just keep looking back to that the game in Philly where it was a playoff-type atmosphere. It was Harden and Embiid versus Durant and Kyrie, and they now. They don't show up all the time, but they showed up for that one, and they absolutely beat the brakes off Philly. And it's again, you got to do that four times over a seven-game series, not just once on a random Tuesday night. But that I can't get that game out of my head when thinking about playoff basketball because when they want to, they just like you said, you said it's Milwaukee or Philly for you. They wouldn't beat the brakes off those guys. So I I, I just I can't discredit them yet. I can't say I'm, I'm out on them fully yet, even though. The trends probably are telling me I should be. Yeah, I think I think they've just um, they've made it a lot harder than it's needed to be this year, and um, they've had distractions, both self-inflicted and external. Um, same can be said for Miami currently. Uh, Philadelphia has that albatross of the beard, maybe being uninterested or disappearing from playoff time. It's just the team with the least question marks right now is the defending champs, and that's. That's who I'm riding with on the eastern side of eastern, excuse me, conference side of things. I, I do have an NBA mailbag question for you, if you want. Okay, to. It's both related. Gonna, my, my final point. Go ahead. For, no, for, finish, all, finish for, for all of the years past, where we've said, "Oh, call me at the conference finals," like Eastern Conference playoffs, and there, there's some matchups out west possible, but the Eastern Conference playoffs specifically is going to be appointment television from the jump. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, and I think while we kind of know what's going to happen in the West, it's all more than likely. I mean, there's a chance we get Brooklyn Philly round one. Yeah, there's a chance we get Brooklyn Milwaukee round one. It could be it could be wild. It's more than likely Phoenix coming out of the West with us. I mean, who knows? Maybe Steph can pull out you know one last trick out of his hat, and, and the Warriors win, or maybe the, the Grizzlies go on a hell of a run. But in all likelihood, we know it's probably the Suns. The East is the exact opposite. It's just so incredibly wide open, and there. Are four teams that you could realistically say like, yeah, they won the East and I'm not terribly surprised. Um, But I want to get to our bulls a little bit here uh, because we should talk about them just a tad. Um, I think I know the answer to this and 
I think the real answer is I'm not sure it really matters. But uh, listener of the pod, Rob Gallick, says, who would you rather see as, as a Bulls fan in the first round, Philly or Boston? For me, it's it's easier, easier, easily excuse me, Boston just because the matchup against Philly, the Bulls just don't. They, there is no answer for Joel Embiid. They cannot stop yeah, him. It's hoping uh, Embiid is, you know, tweaks something. It isn't at a hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's one hundred percent Boston to answer that question. Um, Boston's been tough. They play great defensive basketball, but I think that we can match up with that. Like we can combat that. I know the Bulls aren't the defensive stalwart that they used to be. Um, they'd rather score a buck thirty and beat you nowadays, but. Mm-hmm. Um, they just don't have the body to match Joel Embiid. Like, they could deal with Daniel Tice. They could deal with Jason Tatum. DeRozan could match up. Uh, Pat Williams' length could could neutralize some things. I think that we lose to Boston in six. I think that we lose to Philly in four or five. five. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm with you. I just – the, the matchup is wrong. It, it does not fit at all. And as good as Boston's been lately here, like, We've also seen what they were at the beginning of the year. And I just, the matchup, again, I don't think they beat either one of them, but the matchup is there against Boston. That's yeah. like, I, as disappointing as it is right now that like where the Bulls were and, you know, first in the East and playing all, like great basketball, I, it's, you still have to take this year as a pretty big positive in my, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, big step it, forward. Now, do we know what they need? Yeah, we know they prop they need one legitimate superstar because as good as Damar and, and Zach are, they're, they're not that. They're kind of the the one B star. Demar played like the one A superstar for about a month, month and a half there, and the Bulls were incredibly good. And I know they didn't beat many of the elite teams, but they're right there with them. They're playing competitive games with all of them. Like that's what this Bulls team needs. I'm not sure how they go and get that. I'm not sure if there's a path to go out get, and get Nikola Jokic, but that's an off season problem for for AK. But Given what where we were at the beginning of the the regular season, I think there's no way to say this isn't a successful season for the Bulls. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Um, those I want to get Patrick pieces. Williams some playoff experience as well. Let's yeah, do that. that's that that'll be nice. I just they just seem still a ways off from competing for a championship. They are now comp- they are once again competitive, mm-hmm. which is not something that we could say in the recent past. But they're a ways off from being competitive for a championship. I trust the guy in charge to do. Like we saw what the roster looked like last off season and what it became this off season. I trust the guy in charge, who I have no idea how to remake this roster or tweak this roster, to know what to, to know the paths to take. And I, I don't yeah. doubt that he's got a plan. And he's been fantastic in turning around what was a bottom five roster, bottom ten roster in the NBA into a probably top five roster in the east at this point like i, I trust that guy to and get trust, keep, keep taking steps in the right direction not take a step back next year trust and management is also a, something that we're having to get used to here as bulls fans. it's wild so, uh, it's weird it's, it's, that we've a, gone from like a, the worst to one of the most cons- i wouldn't say best but like i feel like karnashovas is one of the most consistent bosses you know general managers presidents in in basketball today which is wild to say that the chicago so, bulls employ that man it's a lovely place to be. Um, Matt, we have some Bears thoughts. I don't know if you want to talk a little uh, MLB opening day. I know we can do that. Let's do that on, next on, week. On the next pod as well. Uh, Thursday's just going to be a banger because we got Masters round one and opening day because those who schedule uh, Major League Baseball just have just zero recognition no. at the moment. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's going to be fun. It's gonna That's be fun why God day. invented two TV setups. There you go. Um, where do you want to go? Here, you want to go Bears? Let's go Bears and let's go home.
How about okay. Um, we didn't have anything after Bears, did we? You're wanting you're wanting an off season grade. Is yeah, I just, what you told me pre production. Yeah, well, this was more. I don't. We don't necessarily have to say, hey, I give him a C. This was more what we talked. I don't remember what we talked about at the beginning of the show or in pre production, but like, I don't understand the vitriol from Bears fans, uh, like the anger at, at Ryan Poles for not going out and completely remaking this team into a playoff contender. I just, yeah. I, I don't. I don't understand where the like, – I know the NFL is a different animal. So I, I'll explain it to you. I just don't get the anger. I'll explain it to you. The anger Thank is coming you. from a place of Bears fans for the last 20 years not having much to show for ourselves and oftentimes being the butt of the joke. And then you compound that with the casual football fans' knowledge of what going, goes mm-hmm. on in the off season. And it's sort of a toxic mixture because they don't know a damn thing about a damn thing, most football fans, in terms of the offseason, putting together a team, taking the reins as a new general manager. And I'm not feigning that I know everything that goes into those situations because I don't. But what I do know is that Bears fans are sitting here watching other teams buy championships, essentially, watching the L.A. Rams buy a quarterback and win a Super Bowl, watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go from being nobody to buying a quarterback and winning a Super Bowl, watching the Cincinnati Bengals go from being one of the worst teams in the NFL and then Mm -hmm. in two years' time drafting a quarterback and a wide receiver and all of your problems being gone. It It looks like that's just right there for us to do. You get the quarterback, you get the receiver, you win the Super Bowl. It's not that easy. It looks that easy right now, but it's not that easy. There's so much institutionally wrong with the Bears that Ryan Poles' offseason had to begin with stripping down what was wrong before he can build up this team in his image. If you want me to give it a grade, I know you said I don't have to, I give his offseason a C because that's what the Bears are right now. They are a middle-of-the-pack, nothing-special franchise, and... I'm not going to give an A out because nothing that Ryan Poles did blew me away. I thought we could have done a better job in addressing the offensive line needs. We'll give the comprehensive grade after draft day. Mm -hmm. I know we don't have a ton of capital in there, but it's going to be very important to put another piece around Justin Fields for his development. And it's going to be very important to shore up the back end. And there's a lot of things that still need to be tended to. So that's why I just give it a blanket C. You got to be better. I, I'm not. I'm not. My. I'm not losing my head over it. But I think that's why some Bears fans are. It looks really easy to turn something around overnight these days, and it just isn't. Yeah, and we, we're coming from a guy that, while he got the Bears to, was the the head man and got the Bears to a, a NFC North title and lost, obviously, in the first round. But the team that looked like a Super Bowl caliber team in 2018. We're coming from a general manager that kind of did this the wrong, that tried to build up this team the wrong way by throwing around a lot of bad money, kicking the can down the road. Now, he thought the team was more ready to win when clearly after the 2019 season, they just weren't. And he still tried to keep doing that instead of maybe moving around, trying to get some more picks, whatever. Like, we're seeing now a guy who's being patient and trying, trying to do things the right way, who's not shelling out stupid money for a 31-year-old tackle that is, you know, played eight games last year and has never played a full season. He went he went out and, you know, got an offensive lineman that he likes that he thinks is a centerpiece. Signed Ryan Bates to a pretty big offer sheet with a lot of guaranteed money that the Bills matched. Like, there's nothing you can really do to that. Obviously, he's going to have to go out and have a good draft. But, like, he's doing, or at least trying to do this the right way by not, by taking his time, saving up all that cap space that he cleared. And next year... Uh, 
it, it sucks to hear that next year is the off season to wait for because that seems so far away. But what you're relying on is Justin Fields taking positive steps. I mean, yeah, I think this show, the the lack of going out and getting like a, a big time wide receiver or paying like a DJ Chark too much money to come here is how much they believe in Darnell Mooney to be a really good wide receiver. You're relying on Justin Fields having a good year, uh, being around that, like showing flashes like we've talked about, and making him and him like him as a quarterback and the Bears as a team that some free agent wide receivers feel like, yeah, all right, I want to go play with those guys. Next year is the year to do that. Like, I know there were some guys moved on the like the two big names were trade you know, Devonte Adams, Tyree Kill were traded. They weren't free agents. They were they were traded for first yeah, it's, and it's like, that we didn't have. So like, Matt, you just cleared what, all this the, cap space. Don't go spending stupid money to get a thirty-one year old tackle here. Like that just doesn't make move, sense. What's the move he didn't make that you would have wanted to see Poles make? Ryan, Ryan. I mean, I, he made Ryan Bates. Like that move for me was was the one I very much wanted. Like there wasn't really a tackle out there. I, I don't. I, I can't recall the the top corners on the dra- out in the out in free agency this year. Adding a corner through free agency. Jason Johnson, not, but, Jason, that was, but like that was going to. Yeah, Jason Jackson. Excuse me. Yeah, he like he wasn't coming here. Like he wanted to go play for a contender who also paid him a lot of money. Like the Chargers cleared a bunch of cap space a couple of years ago, and now we're seeing them use it. That's what you hope the yes. Bears are next year. Now the Bears probably are not going to be a ten and seven team or whatever the Chargers were and like make a run at the playoffs. But like you're hoping Justin Fields shows some flashes like a Justin Herbert did, and then when you have all this cap space next year in a division that's going to be fairly winnable down the road, then you see some of those free agents be like, "Hey, I want that guy," and then you see Ryan Poles, you know, a, a Khalil Mack type go on the trade market. Ryan Poles be like, "Hey, we have the capital to to go get that guy now." Like. As much as it sucks to hear, Ryan Pace left this team with zero cap space and no pick, like no capital, no draft capital to go out and get players. This is this is the off season we've all been dreading. Next year is when it clears up. Next year is when he's going to have a chance to go out and take chances. But this is kind of the, I mean, this is this is us paying for Ryan Pace's sins right now, and that's there's no point in going out and spending funny money when you know that next year is probably just going to be a learning year for Justin Fields. And it's a shame that you have to waste one more year of his rookie deal because of what the last GM did, but that's the hand you're dealt. I think that's well said. Um, I think that uh, patience is a virtue and it's hard to preach patience to a fan base that's yeah. uh, it, 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 it is. tried I, I understand. Uh, time and again. But like Christian Kirk, like, do, do you, did you want the Bears to go give Christian Kirk four years, $87 Because no. I didn't, and that's what it takes to get, like when you're a team like the Bears right now or the Jaguars, that's what it takes to get a guy like that to come play for you. And they took him. They are now still sitting with LaVisca Chenault, who they can't move. Like They're locked into a number two wide receiver at number one A so, money. The one thing I would say here is what's important this year, not just the development of Justin Fields and some of these other young pieces, but um, identity of the team, of the franchise, of the defense specifically is paramount. And I don't know, and this is not a knock on Roquan because you know how I feel about Roquan Mm -hmm. and his ability, but in terms of the – Let's go get him going. Lance Briggs, voice mm-hmm. in the room. Erlocker, voice in the room. Mike Brown, voice in the room. Tommy Harris, voice in the room. I don't know if the defense has that right now. Again, not a knock on Roquan, but Khalil Mack was not that. I don't mm-hmm. believe Robert Quinn is that. Maybe Akeem Hicks was that, but that's Towards the end, it's hard to be when you're not on the field, too. I, I sort of outline all of that because I think Honey Badger – 
would be uh, a I don't want to say cheap, but I think he'd be an affordable yep. addition that can be that that can start to establish or reestablish defensive identity, which we know is important to the franchise mm-hmm. and we know is important to the people of Chicago. I think that that's one of the more that's frustrating true. things. That, that, even even when even as this franchise moves towards a more offensive approach, because that's really the only way you win Super Bowls these days. You still have to be true to what you are, and just like the Pittsburgh Steelers are true to their defense, and the Ravens are true to their defense, the mm-hmm. Bears have to continue to be true to their defense. And I think that that's the thing that I would like to see here in the coming week. Yeah, well, he's still out there, and that's still doable. Yep. And obviously, I, I don't know their actual personal relationship between Ryan Poles and, and, and Teron Matthew, but like there has to be a relationship there, obviously, yep. with the Kansas City ties. And honestly, like that would be a guy too that probably puts a little bit of a lights of fire under Eddie Jackson. I would have to think um, I'd be just playing alongside him being your safety partner and the way the competitiveness that comes out of Matthew, um, the, the leadership a bit like that would be some, somebody that I think could challenge Eddie Jackson. And probably if, if that can't if a move like that and getting that to be your playing partner, can't motivate you to be, you know, the best version of yourself. Then we know what we know about Eddie Jackson. Has anyone? I I angrily unfollowed Eddie Jackson last season. Does anyone keep keeping tabs on him? Like, uh, is he working this off season? Who knows? Because I hope he's he's a, he's a couple blown coverages away from getting booed out of town. And I know that's already been the case, but he is um he has so much to to prove. He has so much to earn in terms of that contract coming up here and putting a piece next to him like Tyron Matthew might be exactly what he needs. Yeah, that would be that would be the one. I, again, he's not going to cost you too much, but you probably have to guarantee him some money for two years. Yeah. Great. I would be all in for that because if you do that, you still have a ton of money next year already, cap space for next year, and probably realistically going to have some more coming off the books with whatever uh, you know fat they decide to trim after this season. Um, let's put this one in the books, Matt. Uh, Loose and Ruins episode let's. 247. Uh, a, a Tiger preview pod, a Masters preview pod, a little bit of everything here as we head to the Final Four in New Orleans. You can get a lot of great coverage uh, coming your way this weekend on CBS Sports HQ, as always. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say now, on the Moose and podcast. I am on the Moose and podcast, but you'll have to wait until next Wednesday for our uh, Augusta preview extravaganza. We'll have some picks. We'll obviously have a clearer picture of the Tiger situation then. But for now, Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. You got anything else for the people? Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>